Welcome to Just Life. We share our life experiences and lessons to make your life easier. We are on a mission to become the best versions of ourselves. And if you're trying to do the same, you're in the right place. Let's talk about life. Welcome back to Just Life. This is Cicely, and I'm here with Lou, as always. And today we have a very special guest, Shannon Anderson. So this podcast is very cool, very cool experience. Um, me and Lou were talking about doing a podcast on what it means to chase your dreams. And around the same time, Shannon sent me a message saying that she would love to do a podcast and literally said the same exact subject as one of the titles. So that's how I know this is like meant to be. So today we are going to talk about what it means to chase your dreams. And Shannon is a bit of an expert on this. She did a TEDx talk on it. And Shannon is a very special guest to me because she was also my first grade teacher. And I'm not just saying this because she's the guest, but she was one of my favorite teachers of all time. <laughs> I remember, like, to be honest, I remember a lot in that class, which says a lot because I don't remember much of high school. Oh, <laughs> so yeah, I truly loved it so much. And I remember so much from it. So thank you for everything you do. You're an amazing teacher. And I'm so excited to learn from you today. Oh, well, thank you, Cicely. So this is all really full circle to me. But Lou, can you kind of just give a little more of an introduction on her personal? Okay, for sure. Shannon Anderson, she's an award winning children's book author, educator, TEDx speaker, and frequent keynote presenter. She taught for 25 years from first grade through college level and was named one of the 10 teachers who hawed and inspired on a Today Show in 2019. Shanna loves doing author visits, providing... I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I'll just typo. Um... Is that supposed to say aid? Yeah, probably aid. Providing aid for teachers, Men mentoring aspiring writers, and speaking at events. Her book, I Love Strawberries, was named the top-rated 2022 picture book by Good Housekeeping Magazine and also the National Book of the Year by the Farm Bureau Foundation. Have patience with me. I graduated college two months ago. I don't read much anymore, okay? <laughs> also, my iPad is, like, super cracked, so yeah, you did a good job. I try. <laughs> but yeah, that kind of just sums up like all of your success you've had. And with your children books, you just had a new a book um, announced. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. It's this one right here. Heroes don't have to fly. And this is very special to me um, because my daughter, Emily, who is now a first grade teacher and married and, you know, off on her own. She back in, I think it was ninth grade, drew this adorable little guy and she brought it home just on a piece of paper. And I was like, oh my gosh, that is so cute. And I loved that he, his wings are so small, he can't fly. And so he's riding this little scooter. And I said, oh my gosh, his name has to be Scooter. And it inspired a story. And my whole theme was basically, it's not the size of your wings that matters. It's the size of your heart. And I had been wanting to do a book on the power of our words, how words can really, they can uplift and encourage someone, but they can also bring someone down and be so hurtful. And we know today because of 
so many issues of anxiety and depression and comparison, so many things are affected by the way people talk to others. So I really had wanted to do a book about words and I thought, well, Scooter would be the perfect little guy to deliver this message. And so it all just kind of came together and it's not very often that an author who doesn't also illustrate gets to give input into the illustrations, but I showed the editor what inspired the story. I showed her the picture and she gave it to the illustrator and I cannot believe it, but the illustrator actually used her drawing to create Scooter. And so of course, Emily is thrilled and I'm thrilled and it just makes the book so much more special. And they've already told me that they want to make it into a series. So that's exciting. I have work to do because I need to write the second book in the series. But yes, it's been really exciting. It actually releases next week officially. Wow, that is incredible. That is so exciting. I love that. And that is such an important message to just give to kids because words are powerful and knowing that young can kind of set you up for life in general. Mm -hmm. um, just hearing you talk and like having you as a teacher, you are fully living your purpose. Like you are changing the world by what you do. And I'm so excited to learn from you, like how to chase your dreams. So that brings me to the first question. Um, what is What does chasing your dreams mean to you? Well, I think it matters like if the dream was meant for you. Because if there is something that you feel in your soul that was meant for you, that you were put on this world to do, your purpose, and I talked about this in my TEDx talk, you know, about your whole ikigai. If you haven't heard of that before, it's a Japanese term that means your reason for being. And it's all about thinking about what you're really good at, what your strengths are, what you love to do, what brings you joy, what the world needs or your community at large and what you can be valued for or appreciated for or feel like you are making an impact in some way. If you can find something that fits all four of those categories, like I always make a giant Venn diagram of those four things and that intersectionality in the middle, I put a big heart because if you can find something or more than one some things that fit in that middle, then that to me is something that was meant for you to do because you're already good at it. You have maybe some natural gifts or tendencies and it's something that you just long to do. It's maybe a passion. So if you can find that and start pursuing that and um, and really get serious about it and, and understand that you can do it, have that growth mindset that even if it seems like a pie in the sky, really hard thing or not for you, if it's there, if that's your ikigai, I truly believe that you can get there. Um, it, it takes a lot of courage um, for me I had a couple of things, and I think most people do have more than one thing that could fit in that. And for me, it's always been teaching, and I love doing things that I'm able to like encourage, motivate, or inspire kids to do something, whether it's to read more or write more or see the power of reading and writing or see the, the power in themselves to do the things that might be their ikigai. I just love doing those types of things. And you know, one method of doing it is teaching in the classroom, but I always kind of had this dream that wouldn't it be cool to be out of just one classroom and be in many classrooms all over the country and getting to even do that online in other countries. And so um, if we can figure out that and chase our own dreams and be role models for the younger generation, then hopefully they are able to do that too. That is wonderful. Um, have you always wanted to be a teacher and a writer, like since the beginning? 
I wanted to be a teacher since I was a kid. I I've always kept a diary because I've always loved writing. And um, my high school job was working in the high school or working, I'm sorry, in the public library back when it used to be where the Carnegie Center is now. Um, but we had an upstairs and a downstairs. The upstairs was the adult section. The whole downstairs was the children's section. And I was able, I, I feel very blessed that my job was working in the children's section. So when Julie Bray, the children's librarian at the time, left at four every day. I came in after school and stayed till eight when they closed. They let me, a high school student, be in charge of the downstairs every night. And that was a great job for me because I, I loved kids. I loved teaching. I loved it when parents would come and they would go upstairs to look around and they would send their kids down to me and I could match them to a book. Or if I was done shelving for the day, I could actually sit and read with them. I loved being able to like look at all of these books around me and imagine that someday, wouldn't it be cool if I could have a book on one of those shelves next to Judy Bloom's books, you know, who I used to read and love. And I just started thinking about that would be kind of neat to be able to do that. And in my senior year diary, I had written that I wanted to be an elementary teacher and someday write children's books. And another thing that did inspire me about writing was when I was in fifth grade, we had our first author visit at our school. And that was back when the school was first grade through fifth grade. And Jamie Gilson, who wrote Can't Catch Me, I'm the Gingerbread Man, came to Manette, the elementary school I went to. We're all sitting on the floor. She goes up there. And if that wasn't inspiration enough, like, oh my gosh, we're meeting this author who wrote books. There was a writing contest leading up to her coming from the whole school. We could all submit a book of some kind. And so some people just, you know, folded paper and stapled it and some hole punched it and put it in a binder. I just took a notebook and ripped off the cover and made my own cover in the notebook itself. And when she walked up there, she was holding her book, Can't Catch Me, I'm the Gingerbread Man. But she was also holding my notebook that I had ripped off the cover and I had won the contest. And that has stuck with me. I mean, fifth grade was a long time ago for me. And I still have that little book. It's a little tattered because I bring it to author visits with me to show kids. But that was the first time, you know, I mentioned I write in diaries. That was the first time I ever thought of my writing as being for someone else to enjoy. Because diaries and journals are for yourself. It's a kind of writing you do to, you know, get your feelings out or maybe remember things or just have a chance to, for me, sometimes I think it was my talking to God on paper. Yeah. And so to write this story and have some, you know, enough people enjoy it that they picked it, that also made me want to write stories for other people to enjoy. Yeah. And in college, we are taught this thing, like, find your why, find your purpose. Yes. And I think a lot of people struggle with that because they don't know where to start. Mm -hmm. So I personally have struggled with this and I did a lot of research and I had to like look back into like my younger years. So I've always had this like passion for news and news writing, and just any kind of news. So I was like looking back and I remember back in like fifth grade, I started like a school newspaper just for fun. I'm like, well, that's hilarious. And then I went to high school and I started our bomber broadcasting or bomber TV and yes. that's a station for the high school. So I'm like, wow, it's kind of funny how your life is setting you up for your career and you don't even notice that until you look back on it. Yeah. So Especially what... if you're listening to your inner voice. And I think that's what happens. You know, even though you might not recognize it at the time, you know, I enjoyed writing. I hear about this writing contest. I'm like, 
yeah, I'll write a story. I like writing stories, you know, and you do it and never to say, well, I mean, maybe some people are that way. Like that was what, you know, they were already aspiring to be an author and that's why they did it. But I don't think that was there yet. I think I just, oh, I love writing. Yeah, I'll do that. And then looking back, like you said, you notice those things that led you because you said yes to yourself and that inner voice that led you to continuing to pursue that. And it's funny because um, I've, I've really changed my jobs throughout the years. Like I've wanted to be a scientist. I wanted to be a diplomat. I wanted to be a journalist. Like it's changed a lot, but it's funny how they all interconnect. Mm -hmm. And I feel like our generation, we put a lot of pressure on ourselves. and you're always asked like, oh, what do you want to be when you grow up? And a doctor, you know, a teacher, but you have to like really think about it. And um, we have this kind of purpose anxiety, this generation, we have to like do something. And that's where it comes back to your four sectors. What does the world need? So um, chasing your dreams is tied to living your purpose and like being your true authentic self. Um, what advice do you give to um, how to be like your truly authentic self? Well, I mean, I think it goes back to, you know, the ikigai. I mean, if you think about if you're doing something and you're trying to make a decision and you can't, you know, you don't know which way to go. The question I always ask myself is what is the next right step? And I think we all have our own moral compass and everyone's looks a little bit different, but I think if you ask yourself that, what is my next right step? You kind of know in your gut. And I think sometimes we don't trust our gut enough or we don't trust our abilities enough. And that's why I'm so passionate about growth mindset thinking and understanding that we have to trust our brains, that they were designed to learn and to grow and that those things that you practice end up becoming things that can become habits. And then those become part of your life, part of your personality and part of you. And so I think that's kind of where it starts. And Lou, you've kind of wanted to go into teaching. Have you always wanted to go into teaching? Uh, Not necessarily, no, but it kind of just came across me one day in a really interesting way like I always been pretty good with kids um I have like a 12 year old nephew so like I kind of was forced to be good with him since I would watch him all the time (laughs) and be around him and other kids and then it just got to a point where like being around kids so much I was like well why don't I just do this like Mm -hmm. this is what makes sense and you really enjoy coaching yeah of course like that's my favorite thing to do honestly like I mean coaching is teaching you know it's the same thing there's no it is. yes it's absolutely really, like the skill set is exactly the same it takes a lot of patience and determination and a willingness to learn from not just like other adults but from the kids themselves too like it's a lot of putting yourself out there to these little people and letting them like accept you and absorb who you are, but you also have to do the same thing in reverse and try to adapt to whoever you're dealing with. Mm -hmm. See, you'll be an amazing teacher because you think that, because I, I, I really do feel like teaching is coaching. Like a lot of my keynotes that I do at teaching conferences is all about being that coach, that discovery assistant on the side, not the dispenser of knowledge. It's all about relating with kids and understanding that it, you know, you have to understand and care about the kids and get to know them to be able to do a good job. And in the process, you learn and gain too. So what you said is 
is amazing and what all teachers need to have in their soul to be good teachers. I think it's really important, even in that aspect, as far as like chasing your dreams or doing anything, you have to let people discover things for themselves. You can't force something on them. Yes. And one thing I think I've learned is that everybody doesn't really have a dream necessarily, but everybody has a goal. And you talked a little about like purpose anxiety. I think the purpose people are missing is there's like a, I think there's always been a purpose within generations of people, you know, like for like the generation, like the baby boomers, it was different than generation X and for generation X it was different millennials and for Gen Z it's different as well. Our generation doesn't really have a purpose as a generation. I don't think, I think that's where the anxiety comes from where older people, it was more about family. It was more about tradition. It was more about, but now things are a lot different and finding that like purpose that why it's not so easy because it's not so built into how you grow up and who you are. You have to really go out and find it. That's why chasing your dream is a lot different than it used to be for, Mm -hmm. for those exceptional people who found those things they were really good at. Those things happen for them, not just because they chased it, but because it was just innate almost. But I think now people have to really take the steps forward to find that thing and really go for it because it's not just like going to happen or it's not built in. Like if a good example is like if you were an athlete 30 years ago, your family was probably athletes, you know, it probably like built in. If you were a musician, you probably had family that was musicians. You look at any musician, they always have some kind of root in that thing already and it comes through their family that they achieve these things you know like but now it feels like there is a difference and there's a changing of the garden that way where everybody who comes up isn't it isn't through family it's more so through like i like this thing i want to pursue this thing i want to do this and there is a massive difference in that how do you think like that difference as far as generations go affect the way people chase their dreams now opposed to before I think one major difference is we have such a global world now because we, because of the internet and um, just the ability to travel more easily, we get to see more than just our own little, like when I grew up before we had the internet, you know, we just knew about, like you were saying, you know, I know that my mom did this and my dad did this. And in my small town, these were the jobs. And there was a certain path that people took. And a lot of times it was like, well, if you're going to do a trade, then you're going to go off to welding school or beauty school or whatever. And that's going to be your thing. And if you want to be a teacher or a doctor, well, you're going to go off to college and you're going to do that thing. And I think now people are realizing that there are other paths. Like there are so many ways that we can learn that don't you don't have to go to college to be wildly successful. There are so many people, so many even millionaires that didn't necessarily get a degree in college. They just pursued learning through, you know, things online or through getting mentored or getting coached by a a high performance coach of some kind. There are so many ways that you can learn. It's almost like apprentice style only online and you can do just about anything. I mean, there are some things still that you have to have a certain credential or a certain degree. So yes, you would have to go, if you want to go be a teacher, although that's even changing because they need teachers so badly, they're (laughs) taking other means of getting your credentials for that. But I think that's the biggest thing that I've noticed changing in how you pursue your dream is that there are so many different ways to get there than the traditional 
traditional routes that my generation grew up with. And that's exciting because that that helps us to see that that it is possible. You know, I don't know if you're familiar with Marie Forleo's book, um, Everything is Figure Outable, but it is. I mean, like if you have this thing and if you care enough about it, if truly you think that is your purpose for being, why wouldn't you want to do something to pursue it? Now, I'm not a huge risk taker. It may look like I am, but honestly, before I took the leap to chase my second dream, because I, I don't feel like being a children's book author was like the ultimate dream. I feel like teaching was one of them too. I feel like I just had more than one and many people do. Most people probably do, but I just felt like it was one of those things that I had taught for 25 years. That felt like a good number. And it also felt like, okay, now it's time to pursue that second dream. Cause I have another whole lifetime to get to do another one. And that's that's really cool that we get the chance to do more than one thing. And I know Cicely, you mentioned about how kids are asked all the time. You're like, what do you want to be when you grow up? Especially when you're in high school. Well, what are you going to do? What's going to be your job for the rest of your life? But I feel like, yes, yes, it's pressure. And it also isn't true. Like you don't do just one thing for your whole life. People switch directions all the time and that's, that's okay. And that's a good thing. And so, as I was saying, I'm not a huge risk taker. I mean, yes, it was a big risk to leave a stable job that I knew how to do backwards and forward. And I feel like I, I could do a good job with it um, to leave that and have a steady paycheck every two weeks and to have health benefits and all of those things to leave that, to take this risk to do book writing and speaking, which is very unstable. You don't know from month to month, you know, well, what if this whole year I don't even sign another book contract? Or what if no one asks me for an author visit for a couple of months? Or what if I don't get another keynote this year? You know, there are all the what ifs. But then of course that comes all back to building your confidence and the growth mindset thinking. It's kind of a loop, isn't it? But I did make sure, you know, just full transparency, my house was paid off. My vehicles were paid off. I didn't have any debt. I had college money set aside for my girls before I took that leap because, you know, there are a lot of podcasts I listen to that they're like, do it no matter what you just do it. And I'm like, maybe for some people, but honestly, <laughs> for me, I needed to feel like I was safe enough to, you know, not get myself into debt or have to have my family bail me out or something. But I also knew, and this is true for anyone, if you leave one career path to go to another, you can always go back to that other career path. I mean, I have no doubt if I applied this summer for another teaching job somewhere, I could get a job teaching. It was just one of those things that was worth it to me to, to try to do this other thing. And I absolutely love it. And when you love something, you do better and you work harder, even if it doesn't make as much because it's something you want to do. And there's also something to be said for kind of being your own boss. <laughs> it's nice to have people reach out and say, you know, can you do an author visit? And you get to determine the date with them. It's not just placed upon you. And there are a lot of benefits to being an entrepreneur, even though there are a lot of risks that you take when you go into creative work. Was there ever a moment of your journey where you felt like there was like an obstacle or like you were kind of failing? And how did you overcome that? Oh, boy, yes. Because 
it was in January that I turned in my um, resignation. Well, I, I actually was even <laughs> to show what a chicken I was. I was even taking a one year sabbatical leave as an additional step safety net thing in case it didn't work out. So then my job was guaranteed, not necessarily my grade level, but at least a job was guaranteed. I turned that in January of 2020. Wow. Okay. And I did that with the whole next year booked with author visits and conference presentations and professional development at schools that I was going to be doing all of those things all lined up. I was ready. And then COVID happened. And in March, when we were all kicked out of school, I was still teaching then. I remember going into my principal because I was getting email after email after email of, we have to cancel this. We don't know what the next year is going to look like. We can't have guests in our school. We can't even have students in our school, you know, and everything that I had booked for the speaking was canceled. And I was terrified. I'm like, what have I done? Oh my goodness. I went to my principal and I said, can I rescind my request to take the sabbatical for another couple of years and wait? And he was like, we just approved the person at the school board meeting that's taking your place. I'm like, oh my goodness, I'm really doing this. Like I, I'm in it. And so I just, I think, you know, that they have that whole saying about, you don't know how strong you are until you have to be <laughs> strong. And so I just, you know, I got a ton of writing done that next school year because I had a lot of time where I couldn't go speak anywhere. And I did a lot of virtual events and presentations and even keynotes. They just, you know, happened to be like this on Zoom. I got really good at Zoom. Um, and so there were a lot of things that happened and I was still building my resume and momentum for speaking. It was just in a different way than I had pictured it. And sometimes that's another thing when you think something is going to be a certain way, when you go to chase that dream, sometimes you have to pivot and you, you know, then do the best with what you have at the time. But, you know, at the end of that year of 2020, I was like, I had to give the school a decision. I'm, am I coming back or not? Because they need to permanently replace me if I'm not coming back. And I decided that first of all, even though I didn't get to go to very many in-person things, I still loved what I got to do. I still got some more book contracts and some more things written and some more connections and momentum built. I thought if I made it during a pandemic, a global pandemic, then I can do this. And so I kind of took the opposite approach. You know, most people would be like, oh, so that didn't work out. I'm like, no, actually, if it worked that well without, you know, <laughs> being able to even go anywhere, then I can do this. And so I just went for it. So I turned in my resignation and um, this will be my third school year starting up that I'm not at school, but like I said, my oldest daughter is a teacher, so I get my fix whenever I need to. I've subbed for her a few times, or I just go in and co-teach with her or hang out with her and her class. And um, as a matter of fact, next week, I'm going in to help her set up her room for the year. Aww. So I'm still in there, and I got to pass the torch to her and all my stuff to her. So I feel like it's still living on, and not it's not as sad for me to leave it because I loved, loved teaching. Um, but I feel like I still get to do that because... I'm teaching just in different ways, like through an author visit, I'm teaching about the power of stories, the power of writing. And I'm also, you know, I go into classrooms after I do the big presentations, I go into classrooms and then write with the kids and I get to teach teachers. I get to go to schools and do full day writing 
professional development on how to make writing engaging and authentic and exciting for kids. And I do whole, a lot of my topics are on social and emotional topics like growth mindset, perfectionism, kindness, you know, all of those things. And I get to do full day professional developments with teachers to share how they can do those kinds of things in their classroom and integrate in those social and emotional learning skills. So that to me is very fulfilling and I still feel like I get to teach that way. But yeah, I would say out of, you know, the hardest obstacle, the pandemic definitely was probably <laughs> number one. I feel like that's like the worst time to try to go into this kind of field. And I feel like that for a lot of things, but this all happened so fast for you. And I don't know if you planned it like this, probably not, but um, how do you like stay present with everything? Um, one of my toxic traits is um, trying to plan the future. And we talked yes. about this last episode with perfectionism. I do that. <laughs> came out with a blog about perfectionism. So this kind of all ties in together. But how do you stay present and get out of that like perfectionist mindset? Yeah, I've struggled with that my whole life. I always say that book, Penelope Perfect, is slightly autobiographical. <laughs> I grew up with two pa parents who are perfectionists. And oh my goodness, I just have always been driven um, the, the girl in I love strawberries, the main character, Jolie is I dedicated that book to my mom because she always said I was very strong willed. And I'm, I try to turn that around as a compliment as very determined determination and perseverance are good traits. Uh, but she is determined to grow her own strawberry patch, you know, in her backyard. I had a strawberry patch for 10 years. And so I wanted to share through a story form, someone who doesn't give up. Um, so now I, I've lost track of, of what the question was. Oh, perfectionism. Yes. So how do I, how do I not try to get too future focused? And you know, that is hard because there is so much conflicting advice out there. Like people say, you know, you've got to plan ahead, but then they say, live in the present. And they say, you know, don't look back, but they say, learn from your mistakes. And it's like, well, what do you want me to do? You know, like, I don't know, like if I'm supposed to, you know, remember the things I did or not, or just move on. And I think, I think as humans, it's only natural that we're going to plan ahead. We're going to set goals. I just think we have to be um, realistic about it. And we have to think about goals in terms of what can I learn that's going to help me to grow even in small steps and to be easier on ourselves, like to be resilient when it doesn't work out. Like I have this whole success cycle I teach in my mindset power book about, you know, you try something and then you fail, but fail is a first attempt in learning. That's what I tell kids fail stands for. And then you learn from that mistake. Like what was it that didn't work? What could you you know, do differently. And then that next spoke is, you know, trying to do something differently before you try again. So what can you improve? What can you change? What can you tweak a little bit? And then you do the success cycle again, you try with this new angle, and you fail probably, and that's okay. And then you learn from the failure, and you tweak something and you go again. And the more times you go through that success cycle, the more neural pathways you're you're growing in your brain. And that's the other thing is this whole growth mindset and the neuroplasticity and understanding that your brain was created to learn. And the more times you go through the success cycle, the more those pathways, you know, they fire together and wire together. And that's where we get automaticity and things. That's where we get habits. That's where we can do things without having to put in as hard of work. Like if I were 
um, if I were wearing tennis shoes right now, I could tie them right now without looking and still keep talking to you because I built a tying shoes neural pathway a long time ago. And now I can just do it. It's a habit on how to do, I have muscle memory and we can do that with anything that we want to learn. It's just a matter of practicing it. It's the effort and the attitude. Those two things I think are the secret ingredients to being able to do anything. And the perfectionism part is where we're just thinking it needs to happen faster or thinking that someone else is doing it better or they have some innate ability that it's unfair. They were born on third base and I was born on first base and I have to catch up and it's so much more work. But yes, some people are naturally talented in some areas, but that doesn't limit the potential of anyone else. It just means that your experience isn't where theirs is and you just have to catch up. And so then that's a matter of being a problem solver. Like, well, what did they do to learn it? Or if it was a natural thing, then maybe they could teach me something, or maybe there's someone else that I could get mentored from, or someone, you know, I could take lessons from, or online, there are so many free resources. Like when I want to learn something or think about when something breaks in your apartment or your house, the first thing you can do is Google it before you go pay someone, you know, $90 an hour to come and, you know, fix the flusher on your toilet or whatever it is. We can learn for free many, many things. And so I think that's part of it being resourceful. But like I said, I think the secret ingredients are, you know, the effort that you put in the, the repetitions, the rounds and your attitude toward doing it, because that's the first part of growth mindset. I always say it's, it's belief and then it's taking the action and then you grow. If you don't have the belief part first, you've got to work on that before those other two pieces will happen. You won't start learning or, or growing until you have that belief in yourself and the ability of your brain if you're feeding it the right things. What did you say the fail? What does it stand for? First attempt in learning. I love that. And it reminds yeah. me of a quote by Nelson Mandela. Um, it's It goes, you never fail. You just learn. Yes. So yeah. it's basically the same concept. And that's so yeah. true. Because I feel like yeah. when you fail, you have that like mindset you talk about where like you shut down and like, mm -hmm. no, you have to shift that into, yes. okay, I failed, but what did I learn from this and what can I take from it? Right. And that's another thing. When I do my trainings with teachers, I talk to them about the brain, how if we're in our frontal cortex, that is where we're doing our focus, our critical thinking, where we're able to actually do academic things be problem solvers. But if we shift, I like how you use that word shift. That's the word I use too. If we shift down to where we don't think we can do it anymore. And now we have anxiety or fear or panic. We're no longer in our frontal cortex. We're shifted down. And now, now we aren't able to problem solve or focus or do those things because we're in a different part of our brain. And so we have to keep thinking about moving back up to that frontal cortex. And that's where like mindfulness and all of those things come in, where you have to learn to breathe. You have to learn to take that breath. You have to learn to, you know, give yourself a break before you move on or give up on something because you want to shift yourself back up into that space where you can try again. So of course there are bad days or just unmotivated days. I struggle with a lot yeah. of now. Um, what do you do when you feel unmotivated or just, or kind of your own worst critic? Well, the way I explain it to students is, you know, there are so many analogies you could use the whole, you know, the, um, the battery, you know, like if it's, if it's not charged all the way, then it's not going to do as good of a job. And 
sometimes it's worth it to take a 45 minute power nap and you think you're, well, I just wasted 45 minutes that I should have been working on this, this, and this. But if you are super tired and not focused and energized, then the rest of the day could be a complete waste versus if you just take that time to take a 45 minute power nap, then you're recharged and you're ready to go. And then the rest of the day might be like super productive. So sometimes it it's worth it. Even if it's like taking in terms of, you know, you have this huge project you're doing for a whole week, there might be a time where you need to take a half day or a day of it off to, you know, shut your mind off and give yourself a break. And then when you go back at it, you're stronger and better than you were before because you are just kind of cruising at that point. So I think breaks is a big part of it and understanding that that isn't slowing you down. It's actually got the potential to help re-energize you. And especially with creative, creative work, I think we need that to be able to get those juices flowing again. Definitely, yeah. Uh, well, I was thinking about like chasing your dreams and what that means to the people around you. Because your dream isn't just your dream. Usually, usually it's sometimes it's your parents' dream, sometimes it's your friends' dream. How do the people around you affect the way you go after something like your dreams? Um. So there were a lot of people when I made the decision to go for it into writing that were like, oh my gosh, that's amazing. Like, yes, go girl. And then there are people like your parents, the people who care about you the most that are terrified for you because they know that it's a huge risk. And so honestly, out of all of the people that I shared that I was going to do this, my own two parents were probably the ones who were most scared for me because all of a sudden, you know, I've, I've, gone to school, went to college, passed my teaching exams, got the teaching job, did the teaching. So why would you leave that? That's stable. That is, you know, an income and you're doing well with it. And, you know, you enjoy it. Why would you leave it? And so sometimes it's the people that are nearest and dearest to us that don't quite understand. And it's only because they love you and they don't want to see you fail or they're just like you. They're trying to protect you. Exactly. And so that is another thing we have to be careful of because sometimes people are well-meaning and you trust them. And so they say these things like, oh, you don't want to do that. Are you sure? You know, and um, we have to be careful because um, if you know in your heart, you could do it, it's you need to try it. And as long as you're not hurting someone else in the process, you need to try it. And like I said, you can always go back. And that was the thing I kept telling myself. You can always go back. Like, what is the worst thing that could happen if it fails? I don't make very much money that year. And I go back to teaching. Well, that's what I was doing anyway. So that's not a bad thing. And so why not take that chance? So I think you have to really uh, be careful to understand where their advice is coming from. And if it's coming from a, a sense of protection, you know, is it valid? Because I mean, in their hearts it was, but I think now that they see that I'm fine, you know, <laughs> that books are still coming and I'm going all over the country to speak. And although they don't quite understand it all, you know, like you're what you're in Texas this week and West Virginia this week. And then next week you're in Chicago and yes. <laughs> and yes. 
<laughs> but I absolutely love getting to do that. And it just looks different than the regular, you know, nine to five job. Um, and then in terms of like other people and their dreams, um, like my own daughters, for example. So my oldest, she just had kind of that natural tendency to also love kids. She was my cadet teacher when I was, you know, teaching third grade, she came over as a senior and got to come over for like an hour and a half a day and teach in my classroom. She and my other daughter by default helped with all of my Spanish camps and poetry camps and things. And they, I think Emily just kind of got a little bit hooked and decided that that was a path she wanted to try. And now this is, she's going into her third year teaching and doing really well. Um, now Maddie is doing a little bit uh, more of a creative risk, I would say. Um, she once she has always loved animals, which I have too. We had a house full of animals, but she wants to pursue being able to take care of exotic animals. Oh, so it's nice. not like going just to be, I shouldn't say just to be a vet. It, it's not going, you know, just to take the common animal route. And she's very open to what it could turn into. So she is going through Purdue to um, do veterinary nursing for exotic animals. And so that path could take her, like right now she's working in a regular veterinary clinic, but she could end up at a veterinary clinic for exotic animals, you know, various reptiles and things. She could end up at a zoo assisting a veterinarian. She could be all over the place. There are lots of opportunities. And so I love that she's keeping an open mind that working with different kinds of animals, I mean, she could be the next Safari Bob and going around in a van carrying snakes and owls and going to library programs or whatever. She would probably love that. And so, you know, she is taking those first steps of, okay, well, I have to learn, you know, like I have to know the medical part and understand about the animals. So she's getting all of that certification taken care of, and then she'll have the, the chance to pursue, you know, different areas that, that connect with that and be able to do one of those things, working with exotic animals. So that's so fun. And that's why life is just fun because you can plan it however you want, like how much you want, but sometimes it turns out even better than you can imagine. And I'm, I'm so excited to see what Maddie does and what her career will take her. And yeah, good luck with college. And she, is she a sophomore? Yes. That's what I was thinking. Well, congratulations and good luck. Yeah. I'm so excited to see what she does. Um, going back to the chasing your dreams, having people kind of give you like a different outlook into that. I don't know if you experience any like I don't like haters for children's <laughs> books, but um, if you do, how do you deal with that? Um, okay, so I wouldn't. I guess I'm not going to frame it as haters, but there's this whole. Um, I think there's this whole culture of someone sees you succeed at something and they assume it was easy for you. And, you know, I get this, I've gotten this before with other things, you know, like I, I used to run marathons in my thirties in my younger days. <laughs> and of course, when you're running and training for marathons, you can eat just about anything you want because you're putting in a lot of miles. And, you know, people would say things like, Oh, well, you can eat anything. Cause you're just skinny. And I'm like, no, no. Like I couldn't eat like this if I wasn't putting in miles and miles and miles. And so, 
people, it's the whole iceberg analogy. You know, they see the tip and they don't see all of the hard work that went underneath it. And so sometimes it's that way. I mean, Dave Burgess, the guy who um, wrote the book, Teach Like a Pirate, talked about how one of the things that upset him the most was would be when people would say, well, you're such a good teacher because you're just creative. Like it was just given to him that he can do all of these wonderful things. But no, he was putting in a lot of extra time and preparation and getting to know the kids and trying to find ways to meaningfully deliver memorable lessons. It isn't just like, oh, well, you were just bestowed creativity and became, you know, this awesome teacher and you don't have to do anything extra. No. (laughs) And so it's the same way with books. I mean, a lot of people don't know, and I like to share this vulnerability because I, I don't think there's any reason to have people think that you just did it so easily. This book, I love strawberries. I wrote it 10 years ago. Do you know how many rejections I have gotten on that book? And it's the one that, you know, Lou read that it got the Good Housekeeping Best 2022 Picture Book. It got the Book of the Year from Farm Bureau. It has like seven different awards now as of this week for various things, whether it's agriculture-based or just being a picture book or whatever. And I would have never, ever guessed that. And people that see all these awards coming in, oh, well, you just got lucky that that book happened to land in the right laps of people judging or something. I'm like, I put a lot of work into that book. Like it kept getting no's. And so the way I dealt with it was no stands for next opportunity. And so I had the next opportunity to up my game and work on it harder, have more readers looking at it, more people critiquing it to make it better and better. And then resubmitting until finally someone saw it and saw, you know, what I believed was in there, that there was a story that kids could relate to. And then it did well. And so I think it's important that um, I don't think people are haters. I think it's it's comparison. I think it's they're stuck mm-hmm. and they see something and they they want to r- rationalize why it's not happening for them. And instead, if we can take, you know, again, I say that effort and attitude, those two things, if they can take the attitude of, oh, well, that's actually inspiring. I want to see what they're doing, or I want to find out how they learned that, or where did they get started? And then the effort part, you know, like I want to start doing the work. And that's where success begins is in the work part of figuring it out, the learning and the reps that you do. So I think that's kind of what it's about. And, and it makes it harder on social media when you see some of that. And that's one thing I'm thankful for when I was in middle school and high school that we didn't have Facebook yet or any of those things, because I didn't know what my competition even was for different, you know, aspects of what I was pursuing. And so, I mean, now the internet can be so helpful. I mean, like look at Pinterest and (laughs) other things that can inspire us that are, you know, we're trying to come up with ideas for things and we can be inspired by other people. But I think it's so much healthier and so much kinder to look at people who are different from us or have different successes to look for that as inspiration and motivation rather than to hate on them and to stomp on them to make themselves go up higher. I love that. And we, we've talked about comparison quite a bit with social media and just in general, like at our age, we're looking at everyone go 
through college and really decide what they're doing like with their life and we're at this like constant comparing like oh they just graduated like a year early or they just got married like I mm-hmm. I don't even know what I'm doing but just have that trust and when you find that like almost envy in you notice it mm-hmm. accept it and they kind of transition it into um, motivation and that effort right. like oh they're doing that well maybe I can ask them like oh how did you do that and like can you help me so I really yeah. like that and I wanted to say, I just appreciate your um, transparency. I know vulnerability, there is strength in vulnerability. So yeah, I think yeah. kind of people, that book took 10 years and you kept getting rejected. And now look at you, like that book has more stickers than almost the whole cover. <laughs> but yeah, um, we're pretty much wrapping up. Lou, do you have any last questions? Uh, I don't think I have any questions. I just say it's great to meet you. Great to get the opportunity to talk to you. Obviously, you're very accomplished, and you say you're not a risk taker, but you did take a big risk pursuing <laughs> your other dream. You know, like not many people yeah. have the courage to do that and put themselves out there in a different way, and you did. So that's something. Well, thank you. To be very no, you know, in in terms of um emotional risk. There is a lot when it comes to um, putting yourself out there for books, sending your manuscripts out to editors and to agents, and the amount of rejection that you get versus the amount of yeses that you get is, whew, I mean, because they only, each each publisher is only allowed to do so many books a year. And there are thousands of people who are submitting their manuscripts and saying, do you want to make this into a book? How about mine? Do you want to make mine into a book? You know, like I'm a writer. And so there are all of these people submitting and they might only have room for, depending on the size, like free or feeding minds press that does the, I love strawberries book. They only do like three books a year. Wow. I mean, can you imagine in, in a whole year's time, how many submissions they get and they only get to pick three. So you get to a point where you have to not take it personally and understand that it is a business and it's also very based on the opinion and the mood of the person reading your manuscript at the time. There are so many factors that go into it. And it could be as simple as they already have a book on their list that's similar to that, or they have something that would compete against that. And they don't want to have competing titles in their own imprints. So there are a lot of factors that go into that. So I have had to learn to um, have a thicker skin going into it and understand that when I'm submitting something that no, you know, you just have to think of it as, okay, next opportunity. It's okay. It just wasn't ready yet. You know, my book, why is for yet? (laughs) It's just not there yet. And someday maybe it will be. And if it's not, then maybe that was just a really good practice exercise for me in writing that book. So what advice would you give to, um, aspiring writers? I, I would give this advice to the writers as I do to the students that I talk to in author visits. So my very first piece of advice is always to read because when you are reading the kinds of things that you want to write, that is a good example. That's a good mentor text for you. If you want to write mysteries, you should be reading stacks and stacks of mysteries to understand where to put those red herons in and where to, how to keep people in suspense until the end. If you want to write biographies, then you should be reading all kinds of biographies. If you want to write picture books, you should be write, reading lots and lots of current picture books, like within the last five years to see what the market is like, to see what is selling right now. What is the word count of the books, the styles? Um, so reading is a big, big one. 
Um, of course, tip number two is to write. I mean, you have to improve your skills by putting in the reps. And it doesn't mean you have to, there are some people that say, you know, the BIC method, BIC butt in chair. And yes, that's part of it, but it doesn't mean it has to consistently happen every, every day, because honestly, I don't write every single day. Some days I'm out traveling and speaking or other days I'm cleaning my house, you know, there's reality. And so it's just that you are intentionally writing when you can. And as you're doing that, you know, you're trying to get better and push yourself, build your endurance and your craft which kind of leads to tip number three, which is learn from others. And that can look like going to a conference or a workshop or um, joining an organization that does the same thing that you are doing and connecting with those people, um, finding a mentor. Like I do mentoring by the hour for aspiring writers. And I feel like many times, like when I have done that and been mentored by someone, it's like a personalized hour that you're getting your own professional development, you get to ask your own questions that pertain to just you. And so that can be powerful. Getting critiques from someone, that's a form of learning. I pay to have someone read my stories and to give me feedback on the parts that aren't working and the parts that are are good. And I have critique groups. So I meet online with two groups of wonderful authors, um, some published and some not. Most of them are published, but they live all over the country. Some I've never even met in person and we've been together for years, but we exchange stories and we help each other to get our stories better. And then when one of our stories gets published, we automatically have our own little cheering section and encouragement when you know you get a terrible rejection from someone on the story that they've all read and they've helped tried to help you with and then you get the rejection and they're there for you but all of that is part of being with the network of people that are doing the same thing that you want to do so learning from others and then tip 4 is pretty easy it's never give up i mean i shouldn't say it's easy it's simple but it's not easy so it's it's that part of resilience of trying again and not getting into perfectionism or comparison trap, but just taking the breaks that you need, learning from the people you need to, connecting with people and trying again and hoping that the next go round in the success cycle that you become more successful. Well, if you don't have any other questions, I think I'm good. I'm going to end on what's next for you. Ah, <laughs> That's a great question. Well, I just signed um, I Love Blueberries contract. So this, the story is done. So now it is to the illustrator, the amazing Jacqueline Sinquette. She's awesome. Um, and the Y is for Yetbook. I signed a contract for B is for belonging. So it's all about, you know, like being accepted for who you are and not having to change to fit in. Brene Brown kind of inspired me with all of her talk on vulnerability and acceptance and belonging. Um, and I have, of course, this book coming out next week. And um, so I, oh, and I just signed a contract for do-it-yourself dollhouse, which is all about these two girls who live on the same street, but one of them gets this, this, I, I think of like the ultimate dream Barbie house, you know, where everything is drawn on there. Like the bookcases and TVs and everything are drawn. And then they had plastic furniture that fits in each room, like a certain way. And it's like the perfect dollhouse versus the girl down the street. Me was the one who had cardboard boxes. And I was, you know, gluing in 
construction paper as my wallpaper and popsicle sticks for my hardwood flooring. And I loved the whole process of making it and it made it more fun for me to, you know, take the spaghetti noodle and break it into pieces and put it in a milk jug lid as a spaghetti dinner for my doll instead of having something just painted on the table that I said my Barbie was going to eat, you know, those kinds of things. So do it yourself dollhouse is all about going back to the the innocent play of kids and having that creativity and imagination to do things from scratch. Um, and I think it's going to be great for those that enjoy like the STEM activities and the makerspace things where you have this whole pile of stuff and you decide how am I going to make something cool out of it? So I'm really excited for that one to come out next year too. That is so exciting. And I just love like children books. You don't really think about it, but there's so much um, lessons in them. And it's so important for kids to like learn these really valuable lessons in such a simplistic way. So I just want to say thank you so much for coming on today, Mrs. Anderson. It feels weird to call you anything else. So you'll always be missing <laughs> things to me. Um, I did want to share it's National Blueberry Month, if you didn't know. I know. July 8th is National Blueberry Day. Yes. Very cool. That's a very cool. <laughs> yeah. I just got 10 pounds yesterday of blueberries, <laughs> made two cheesecakes today. <laughs> I, I just did a story on blueberry picking. So that was really fun. I guess. Oh, awesome. Berries. But yeah. um, yes, thank you so much for everything you do. You are truly living your purpose and it's so fun to watch you. So thank you. Well, thank you. It was an absolute pleasure. <laughs>